Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. You're tuned to Brisbane's own community, non-profit, independent radio station. My name's Andy and I'll be hanging out with you for the next hour. I'm coming to you this week from Awabakal and Waramai country, also known as Newcastle. Um, Come down here to be part of a big protest against the world's biggest coal port, which maybe you'll hear about next week. But um, today on the show, we're going to be talking again about Palestine. Last week, um, I interviewed uh, Usama from Bethlehem in the West Bank to talk about what it's like living in Palestine. And this week, I'm going to speak to Mona, who lives in Hebron in the West Bank. And also, I'm going to play an interview I recorded a few weeks ago with Shoshana Rosenberg, who lives in Melbourne these days, but grew up in Israel, but has been part of Jewish solidarity with Palestinian people in Australia in the last few weeks. They've done a couple of dramatic actions. One, um, I spoke to Shoshana just after they had blockaded the road to Pine Gap, the U.S. uh, spy base in the middle of Australia. Shoshana was later uh, arrested, locking themselves to um, the office of Richard Miles, the Australian Defence Minister. So... Um, and they have very interesting things to say, I guess, to hear from Israeli people about what it's like growing up there and about um, the conflict and how they feel about Israel's role in it all. Of course, Israeli people are as deserving of having a place to live in peace and freedom, just like anybody else. No more deserving than Palestinians, we might say, of having those same rights. But, um, you know... A lot of us, we want to support Israeli people and earlier this year when there were massive protests against the Israeli government led by Israeli people, you know, there was a lot of support from people around the world and despite what you might read consistently in the right-wing media, uh, not everybody supporting Palestinian human rights is doing it because they hate Jews or hate Israel. Um, And so I'm very happy to talk to Shoshana and hopefully it will be illuminating for you all. Um, if we get time, I'll also fit in a bit of a chat I had with Phil Monsoor, local um, Brisbane uh, Palestinian supporter, long-term activist uh, who's been part- organising the prolific pro-Palestine protests that have been happening in Brisbane. If you've been following the news, I guess this week there's been 
big protest in Sydney, which was shut down very brutally by the police, and some interesting responses from that, including from the MUA, the union um, that works in those ports that came out in support of the protest and which has a long history actually of supporting oppressed people and people who are, whose lands have been invaded by refusing to send shipments there. You go all the way back to before World War II when uh, Japan invaded China and Wollongong Wharfies refused to send iron to Japan to enable that invasion and of course famously uh, Pig Eye and Bob, Robert Menzies, came down to break the strike and introduce new laws allowing untrained workers to work the docks so they could send those weapons to Japan. And it, ever since, it's been an ongoing thing, refusing to load ships for political reasons. Um, Warfies did it to defend Indonesia from the Dutch, uh, trying to take it back after World War II and then during the Indonesian occupation of East Timor, Warfies trying to stop our shipments going to Indonesia. And so that's an action with a lot of history and certainly not just some uh, unruly mob trying to stop ordinary Australians going to work, which is what they have been called. But for now, there's a momentary truce in Gaza um, negotiated with the Qatari government. And so hopefully um, there's a few days for people in Gaza to live in peace and a few days for the rest of us to reflect on what's happening in this conflict and what we can do about it. And so hopefully today's paradigm shift will help you to be able to do that. And let's start off by talking to Mona, who works for human rights with community peacemaker teams in Hebron in the occupied West Bank. I'm Mona. I live in Palestine. I work with CPT in Hebron. Can you tell us a bit about your own background and, and where you've come from? The long story. So I'm a refugee. My, my grandparents left, were expelled from, from Yaffa in the 48, a village called Dil Khairiya near Yaffa. They left. Uh, they still de- de- like displaced inside the country, so they went to, to a refugee camp in Jericho. But then in around the 67, they were also uh, expelled to Jordan. Uh, so I was born in Jordan, came back to Palestine in 1996, lived in Ramallah, um, and I work in Hebron. Could you tell us a bit more about who CPT are and what you do in Palestine? So CPT is community peacemaker teams. We work in communities that called us uh, to work with them in terms of ending oppressions, in advocacy, in supporting the local communities. So over the world we have different teams. In Palestine we mainly work in accompaniment, documentation, and advocacy, um, and programs connected to undoing oppression with the Palestinian community. So day-to-day, what does that look like for CPT in Hebron? So day-to-day, during school year, we start, the team starts the day by accompanying school students to their schools because they have to pass different Israeli checkpoints. Uh, Sometimes their bags get checked, sometimes the the checkpoint get closed, sometimes um, they delay them, so we accompany them, we document everything, we call organizations that may intervene to support even more. 
Uh, then um, we do our like office work, but we're always on call. So whenever the local community call us to 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 support them in something, in terms of like if somebody get detained, if there was a home raid, or during seasonal seasonal um, events such as olive harvest, we support in the harvesting. We go also to South Hebron Hills when the community call us for demonstration, for documentation, for getting the stories out. So CPT is in Palestine to accompany Palestinian people and uh, undo oppression there. How able are you to carry out that work in Hebron? Uh, so in, in history, during the history, CPT started as, as foreigner teams. So it was easier to do the accompaniment because people had their privilege of passports, the white privilege and all that. Uh, but then as our, as organization, we bit by bit changed and uh, Palestine is a fully local team now. We do accompaniment as much as we can, but we are so limited as we have a lot of restrictions on us as Palestinian. Uh, so example, there's an area that Already all Palestinians are not allowed to enter, to, to walk through the street. It's called Johada Street, so we cannot go there. Uh, in the past, when we had foreigners, they used to do it. Now we, we open the door for, of course, uh, foreigner volunteers, so they do that. Uh, now all the checkpoints are really closed for everyone. So also just to put you in context, things on the ground shifted, really shifted, in a bad way, when Trump started to be a president four or five years ago, I can't remember now, where Israelis really didn't care anymore about anything, not a white privilege, not a Palestinian, not a foreigner, not what, whatsoever. Uh, at the moment, as you see, like they don't care anyhow. So the restriction is more on everyone, but still, uh, as Palestinian, the restrictions will be more. So sometimes it's really hard to work but we are determined. <laughs> so I'm wondering in the last six weeks of the war, how things have changed um, for you, both living in the West Bank and also as a human rights organization, being able to do your work. So everything changed, whether for a human rights organization or any other organization. The area we work in, uh, part of the area we work in is under curfew anyway, so nobody can enter. Uh, not only CPT, a lot of other organizations. Um, so there's a curfew in H2 where people are not allowed to move except either from 8 to 9 a.m. and then you have to be out and about till 4 p.m. unless you're a school student. Uh, one of the things that the mili Israeli military announced that even school children who are 15 they need to get their parents' uh, ID or their birth certificate with them to be able to move. Uh, and the other thing that was for me like scary is they said from eight to nine is for stu school students and from one to two or 12 to one also for only school students and no adults can accompany them. So it's hard to work. It's been hard to work um, anyway. It's the closures, it's the curfew. So we keep the connection with the community, with the local community. We, call, we almost call, call our partners every day. Uh, we try to start um, raising awareness around the closure in H2 as well. 
like I guess each organization, including CPT, is trying their best at the moment, even if our best is not enough. So these are restrictions of movement that you've talked about. I guess they are enforced by heavily armed IDF soldiers. But have there been um, live ammunition fired or bombings, things like that, in the West Bank? So when you say in the West Bank, it's a large... (laughs) It's a large area, so it depends in the, on the area. So in the north, like Jenin, Nablus, there is heavy armed uh, presence, bombing and shooting, and raiding. In in the south, like Bethlehem and um, Hebron, El Khalil, it's more the, the the arrests in the cities. I'm saying the arrests are high, more than using bombs but during demonstration they use live ammunition and rubber bullets in refugee camps whether in 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 el khalil or in bethlehem when they raid or they enter they they are brute like they do it brutally and they use uh sound bombs get tear gas and and live ammunition so so just to make each area it's it's different actually do people fear what's happening now in gaza that um, happening in Hebron or in the West Bank? I think we all are scared of that. Um, Things are not stable anyway in the West Bank and it will never be. Um, So this, we always carry this fear that uh, maybe there will be another uprising at some point. It's still not happening, but this, we carry this fear. Of course we carry this fear every day. Now, you are living in Palestine, but you're also part of an international organization. And so I'm interested to hear what you think of the international response over the last six weeks from um, governments, international organizations, or from people around the world. So let's separate it. People, like the people are doing amazing. There is a big shift in comparison to years ago. So the people, I guess the governments in general, general, generally speaking, speaking, whether the Western government or the Arab governments are doing horribly. Um, I don't know how many else, how many dead people we need to, to gain more um, strict decisions. So that's one thing. The other thing what always, um, always makes me feel frustrated, not only with the world or with the people around the world, also with us as Palestinian. Gaza been in, in what we call it, blockade, uh, since ever, since 17 years. And we, I think this delusion of they are fine and it's peaceful, get all of us that we didn't do anything in the time of the negative peace. It was a negative peace, no bombing, but it's like negative peace. But everything, like their calories were calculated, not enough food, not enough electricity, but we all in the world, including Palestinian in the West Bank, needed 10,000 dead to do something. This is frustrating, not beyond frustrating. I don't know what is beyond frustrating in English at the moment. But we need, as people, to start work day in and day out and any kind of oppression in the time of negative peace as well, not only waiting for war to happen. 
to be active. So this is how I feel. This is how I feel around the responses that happening. What do you think for people around the world who are supportive of Palestinians and their human rights and want to show solidarity, what can we do? I think several things. To begin with, boycott. Boycott is really important. And in, in history, it was one of the successful tools of resistance. Uh, call the government. I think in the West, and that's what makes the West different than, than uh, the Middle East example, that, that governments are a bit like concerned about their people, point of views, or people demonstrating people calling for something. So I think just call for your government to, to call for ceasefire, to, to stop this war against innocent people. And that needs like a daily uh, action. And boycotting again. <laughs> Over the years, we've heard these different suggestions of a two-state solution or a, a one-state democratic solution. I'm interested in what you and what the Palestinian people that you're in contact with think would be um, a solution that could create a kind of just and peaceful situation in Palestine. Personally, I think we're um, beyond the two-state solution, and I don't think anybody is ready for one-state solution anymore. But the demands, the Palestinian demands is clear. We want justice, equality, equity. We want to feel that people look at us as human. We want access to, to education, access anybody gets in a normal in a normal setting. I want students to go to schools without fearing a checkpoint or a shooting or a school bag check. Uh, we want equal amount of waters like uh, like Israeli. We need justice, equity basically. I don't know under what title, one state, two state, three state, I don't know. We want that. That's what, that's what Palestinians been asking for since ever. We want refugees to come back. We don't need every time something happens, we don't want to fear that we will be forced to leave again and be displaced again as we see now what is happening in Gaza. That's what we want. I'm sure this is a complicated question, but I think this is something that a lot of us around the world are wondering. And that is, I guess... Um, what the feeling is within Palestinian internal politics at the moment, how Palestinian people are feeling towards Hamas, towards the Palestinian Authority, I guess particularly after October 7th, and um, how people feel these groups are, are representing Palestinian people. I think also Palestinians are wondering that, Andy. <laughs> So I think before October 7, already people had problem with the PA. PA is not anymore um, doing anything except making it easier for the occupation. It's just like PA is a body to make occupation free, like free from duties, free from responsibilities, free from everything. So there is a lot of anger around the PA. Around Hamas, at, at the moment, I think, I think um, peop, part, some people are questioning what the hell is happening. Some people are not questioning anything because at the moment there is a bloodshed that people need to keep 
to remain silent because there is something more important than do we love Hamas, do we hate Hamas? Because I think this binary question of like, what do you think of Hamas? Is it good, is it bad, is not the time at the moment. Um, the only thing Palestinians agree on, whether it's Hamas or not, that resistance in any way is a legit thing for people under occupation. Uh, that's what people agree on. Well, things are very hard at the moment in Palestine, but I'm wondering what are the things that give people hope and allow people there to keep living and keep resisting? So I think when you're under occupation or you're part of an oppressed group, you don't have anything to do but to hope because that's what makes us going. Uh, there's no privilege of choosing. It's only one choice, to keep up the hope. Otherwise, we're done a long time ago, Andy. Any oppressed group is done a long time ago if they lose their hope. So we hope, we believe that to reach freedom from any kind of oppression or occupation or whatever, there's a price to pay, but there's a goal to reach as well. So hope is, I think it's not only among Palestinians, it's among any oppressed people. I think hope is, is in us. So um, we always have that hope. Mm. Is there anything else you would like to say to the people of Australia who might be listening to this? I think I will tell people that it's the time to stand up for justice. It's the time to, to support any, any oppressed group. It's, it's not anymore that you don't know. It's you choose not to know. And then if you don't stand up for, for justice, this will follow you for the rest of the years that you did not stand up for justice, whether it's for Palestine, indigenous communities, anyone. So don't act that you don't know. You, you choose not to know. Um, and boycott. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thanks very much for talking to us, Mona. Thank you, Andy. You're listening to The Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ. We were speaking uh, with Mona who did ask me not to report her last name, but who is a Palestinian um, working with community peacemaker teams in Hebron and giving us an update on um, what's been happening there and, of course, the day-to-day struggle of Palestinians, which um, the world sadly finds too easy to ignore and amongst the normal busyness of our life and everything that's going on. Uh, We don't remember what it is like for Palestinian people living in their land until, uh, you know, there's full-on news coverage. And even then, we have to deal with this incredible bombardment of voices talking about how hypocritical it is. But on the Paradigm Shift, we um, have consistently over the years tried to support the struggles of Palestinian people just trying to live in peace. And we did last week as well, where I spoke to uh, Osama, who lives in Bethlehem in the West Bank. We talked to him about uh, his life and, uh, I guess, a bit about Palestinian politics. And this week as well, 
um, talking with Mona there, bringing you voices from the front line, um, from people that are living day in, day out, the oppression of Palestinian people. Now, living nearby, but in very different circumstances, are, of course, the people of Israel. And um, I'm also going to speak now to somebody who grew up in Israel, now based in Australia, um, Shoshana Rosenberg, who is an academic and who the last couple of months has been involved in a couple of protests of Jewish people and several of them Israeli Jews speaking out against Israel's bombardment of Gaza. I spoke to Shoshana a few weeks back um, after they did an action at Pine Gap, the um, American spy base in the middle of Australia, which will undoubtedly have been providing information to Israel in their bombardment of Gaza. Um, they've done other ones since, um, but I've been waiting for a chance to um, play this interview with Shoshana because it's very interesting um, hearing Israeli people able to talk from their experience about what it's like living in that place. And, I mean, one of the interesting things as well about Shoshana is that they are a, a queer person of diverse gender and sexuality and that, I guess, there's been this thread in the media, I guess, of talking about Israel as the only country in the Middle East that um, supports rights for LGBT people and that's why um, they should have the support of the Western world. And, well, um, Shoshana, who is queer and grew up in Israel, definitely does not support their invasion of Gaza. Um, let's have a listen and we'll start off with just a little bit of sound from the Jews for Palestine uh, blockading the road to Pine Gap and reciting the traditional Jewish prayer of mourning, the Kaddish. Yitgadal v'yitkadash mei rabah balma divrach yurutei v'yamlich malkutei v'chayechon v'yomechon Uchaye de Hol Beit Yisrael. Bagala Ubizoman Kariv Vimru Amen. So my name is Dr. Shoshana Rosenberg. Uh, I'm a graduate of the doctoral program at the Center for Human Rights Education at Curtin University, and I'm a proud anti-Zionist pro-Palestine Jew. And you have been a part of an action in Alice Springs, in the middle of Australia, uh, where somebody is blocking the road of significant U.S. defense facility Pine Gap. Yes, at about um, 6.30 a.m. Uh, Victoria time, Eastern Standard Time, um, a, group, uh, a group of activists uh, took over the road, the single road that leads to and out of the Pine Gap um, defense facility. Um, and um, Jem, uh, who was the sort of focal point um, for the protest, um, chained themselves inside, of, say, chained them, their hand inside a barrel and chained themselves to a barrel and um, basically plonked herself in the middle of the road uh, in protest of what's happening in Gaza, what's happening in so-called Israel, in occupied Palestine. And, uh, and that sort of went on from, yeah, probably about 6, 6.30 in the morning until about 10.30 was when Jem um, was finally removed. And then also they were then put, uh, put under arrest. Can you tell us what's the significance of Pine Gap as a location for this protest? Yeah, absolutely. I, it's, it's one of those things where 
certainly the news coverage that's been happening up until now, and especially the Australian news coverage, there's been a real masking of the connection between the Australian government and specifically the Australian military and their relationship to the American military and also to the occupying force Israeli military. And so that was the sort of core of the protest, because we know that the technology that is being developed in Pine Gap, we know that the sort of military relationship, the relationships that are being formed um, are things that are ultimately being used against Gaza. So we know that the surveillance tech is being used in the field. We know that weapons that are equipped with the surveillance tech are being used in the field. Pine Gap has also been protested against repeatedly for their sort of role in I would say international imperial terrorism and so on. So that that's the that's the core reason why uh, Pine Gap was chosen. Now, part of the protest was Jem, uh, while they were locked on to the concrete barrel, reciting a a prayer in Hebrew. Can you tell us about that and the significance of that? Sure. So Jem was reciting what we call the Mourners Kaddish. It really is a matter of looking at everything that is happening for what it is, which is there is a mass burial happening in occupied Palestine in Gaza right now. It is a mass burial. It is a mass grave. It is a mass ongoing lifelong funeral. And so we wanted to express that connection. We wanted to express that we not only see that grief, but that we too share in that grief. It also seems significant when <clears throat> the line is so often drawn on religious terms between Jews and Muslims in, in this issue. Um, was that something that you wanted to intentionally do to show that kind of Jewish solidarity? Absolutely, because the reality is that all of this is happening at a surface level. The narrative is this is happening due to a need for Jewish preservation, a need to preserve, you know, the people, but then also the culture, the religion. And then, of course, much of the justification for the occupation comes from this biblical literalism, you know, where somewhere in the Torah, it says that we were there at some point and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, the Jewish religion has been completely corrupted by the fascist underpinnings of Zionism as an ideology and then specifically as part of the, you know, the way they've been corrupted by the Israeli regime. Um, and we want to make it clear, it is not, not in our name. It, this is not for us. We not only do not want this done in our name, we wish for it to stop. We wish it never happened in our name because no one is achieving safety. Jews, Muslims, Christians, you know, like Palestinians or otherwise, no one is benefiting from this. So, so yes, the religious bent is part of it. We want to show that our traditions are actually made for healing, not destruction. Now, I understand that you were in Israel and you were part of the Israeli Defense Force. And now you're here as part of this protest. Do you want to tell us a bit about your own experience and how it's led you here? Sure. I actually, I actually was not in the IDF. So, in fact, I left Israel prior to um, the age of conscription. So, at 17 years old, you receive your conscription letter. And then around the time of your 18th birthday, you're expected to 
attend a military base and begin your three-year conscripted military career as part of the idea for the IOF. Um, and I actually uh, moved to the other side of the world in order to defect, in order to avoid military service. And as a result of defecting, I have had my um, my citizenship has been basically downgraded to a partial visa at best kind of thing. Essentially, I'm allowed in for a brief moment and then I'm required to either attend IDF or leave. Um, and so that's that's why I'm here, you know, speaking of people that are here because of the regime, not that this is anywhere near comparable to people who escaped the true violence of the occupied territories <clears throat> and found themselves in Australia. But I too am here because that place is untenable and the way that the government and the military and the faux religious fanaticism of it all is being put together is something that is something that I, I, I could not live with and I refuse to live with. Um, this year, we've seen big protests by Israeli citizens against the Netanyahu government, and it's a, um, what most people there seem to see as a threat to democracy. How does it feel now to see the world's um, national leaders lining up in support of Netanyahu, this man who Israelis have been, you know, really risking everything to protest against? I mean, <clears throat> in many ways, it's completely unsurprising. And especially if you look at the biggest supporter, which is Joe Biden, and you look at what's happening in his country, and the reality is that his people are just as disenfranchised, forced into poverty, forced into internal conflict, denied the basics of human life, such as healthcare and so on, except at a price. These are the same conditions. These are the same conditions across all of these countries, and these are the same conditions enacted by all of these leaders that are now coming up and and supporting Israel. Um, I guess as somebody yourself who's lived in Israel, I mean, for so many people right now in Australia, we're a long way away from the conflict, like uh, it appears sort of a Hamas insurgents appears on the news then we're told that Israel is responding to it. Now you've said that it's the continuing war on Palestine that you're protesting here. I guess can you elaborate a little bit on that on how like what goes on day to day in that place? It's very easy to look at any one horrifying act of violence and create an entire narrative around it. We're, as human beings, we're actually not really meant to process this level of systemic violence and destruction, right? So it's very easy to look at that initial, quote-unquote, initial Hamas attack as something that was unique and required response to. But when you look at the history of Israel as a regime, you see that from the Nakba from 1948 and, and much before that, in fact, People have been taking over Palestinian land, taking over Palestinian villages, including an early, in fact, pre-Israel state operations like um, Wall and Tower, where people literally snuck into Palestinian territory in the middle of the night. And according to Turkish law at the time, as long as you had four walls and a tower, that place was considered 
a village that you owned and people literally set up micro villages in the middle of the night on Palestinian territory to take it over. And this is in the 30s. This isn't even the Nakba. This is before the Nakba. So that's the so that's what you live with when you live there. You know, you 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 if you're lucky enough to see past the propaganda, you understand that you live in a country that was freshly seized from a peoples that that are currently being pushed to the brink of extinction. So that's that's the sort of that's the lived reality of, of being a quote unquote Israeli living in quote unquote Israel. Um, if you actually and, and processing it rather than just being afraid, you know, and this is speaking as someone who my village has been bombed. Uh, I have lived in multiple cities that have had, you know, um, suicide bombers and everything. I have lived around this terror my whole life, and I still see every single bit of it as ultimately a reaction, a desperate reaction to being put in desperate conditions and in a desperate situation, which is exactly what the Israeli regime has done to the Palestinian people. I think your perspective as somebody who um, has come from Israel mm. is super valuable, especially in Australia. I think people are just so um, disconnected from it here. Well, they're disconnected, but at the same time, they also want the, the Zionist Federation and all these kind of bodies and all these pro-Zionist institutions and leaders and so on want you to believe a very funny story, don't they? They want me as a Jew living in Australia to believe that the existence of the state of Israel thousands and thousands of kilometers away assures my safety. And that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't that doesn't make any sense no matter how you cut it. So it's it's it is one of those things where you really you you can see how far reaching the indoctrination is globally like geographically but you can also see how deep the indoctrination is especially in diaspora where you are disconnected from the situation yeah yeah well i think um good on you guys for for doing it and um i think yeah it's very powerful jews doing um actions for palestine is very powerful given the simplistic narrative that we're fed they they want you to believe that we're all for it and so few of us are that it's crazy. <laughs> All right. Thanks very much, Shoshana. No problems. Thank you for having me. Shoshana Rosenberg talking about uh, what it's like coming from Israel and why they are living in Australia right now, not wanting to go back to that place. Now, Shoshana has been one of many people around this country um, organizing solidarity with Palestinian people over the last two months. Another is Phil Monsour, very long-term Palestine activist and songwriter as well. And I spoke to Phil a few weeks ago about the importance of showing solidarity, so I thought I'd play that in the last few minutes of today's show. We're a long way away from the Gaza Strip here in Australia and Brisbane. What do you think is the importance of doing these kind of solidarity actions here? There are many people in this country who are connected, either um, on a personal level, but also on a a justice level. And 
Uh, it's just essential. Uh, people need to understand that the intention of what is going on is to kill, um, it will be in the tens of thousands, uh, if not more, uh, and, they, and the goal of this, uh, the ongoing goal of this, and it's escalated now, is to remove as many people as possible from the land of Palestine. And make no mistake, that's what their intention is, that's been their intention for decades and decades, and you can either sit back and watch this silently or you can be amongst people who are prepared to stand up and say this is unacceptable and this must not happen. There's been a number of protests now. Do you think that this will have to be a continuing presence? Um, I think we're committed now to mobilising um, on a consistent basis. We have um, a range of things planned. Um, this is occurring all around the world and it's occurring all around the world against a climate of incredible misinformation and uh, a very strong pattern of the dehumanisation of the Palestinian people and um, you know that, that in itself is uh, an expression that on the street um, we, we can challenge this um, but we're going to have to fight very hard to overcome uh, those fairly powerful forces and those fairly powerful structural systems that are really denying the humanity of Palestinians. Protests are essential and marches are essential and action is essential, uh, but we also need time to mourn. I know for my Palestinian friends and for many people in the movement, this has been a very difficult time and um, we need to come together and strengthen ourselves for this the weeks, months and possibly um, the years ahead if uh, the worst comes to the worst, which it may. So follow Justice for Palestine Meangin on the social medias and um, join our email list and connect um, to help us uh, grow that solidarity and, and do what we can in this city. I know it's a long way away for people and I know you sound a little bit unhinged when you're um, talking about places that are tens of thousands of miles away but um, uh, this the world's a small place now and the implications of what occurs here uh, has implications for us all um, you know there's been a lot of research into the security state that is um, the state of Israel and the military apparatus that they employ and how they deploy them uh, you only have to look at the share prices of the major arms companies. And on the 8th of October, uh, they all spiked because these large corporations are building an industry around security and war. And it may be distant to people now, but um, there are many places in the world that are going to face uh, this sort of system of ghettoing, segregation um, and so it's not just in solidarity with people, we also, these actions help define the type of, the type of society we live in, the type of society uh, we will become. Okay, thanks, Phil. Thanks. That is Phil Monsour there, part of Justice for Palestine, Mianjin. They are organising another rally this Sunday at 2pm at Queen's Park. 
Um, there's been one every week for the last few weeks, and what an incredible effort it's been across the country. Um, the consistency of people coming out in solidarity and the variety of different actions uh, really shows that people in this country do care about what happens overseas and are doing uh, what we can about it. And make no mistake, the fact that there is currently um, a kind of truce happening in Gaza um, is partly a result of the international movement standing up against Israel uh, bombing Gaza away into smithereens with total impunity. And so I guess we have to keep going until both there's a permanent end to this war and also some kind of just situation for the people living in Palestine. So get along to that or you can follow um, Justice for Palestine, Mianjin, on social media to find out how to get involved in your local area. That's about all we have time with on the Paradigm Shift. See you next week.